Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, I'm Sarah. When planning our home birth, my husband Matthew and I were really frustrated by the lack of empowering and honest home birth resources. So we created this podcast to start a new conversation for moms and families like us. This is Doing It at Home. Hey everyone, welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast and happy Halloween. Hope everyone is having a fun, safe holiday, and there's some really cool, creative costumes out there. If you don't know already, it is absolutely by and far Matthew's favorite holiday, so it's a big deal over here on the Bivens front. But today's episode is actually really fitting for Halloween because it's a very scary topic, sleep. <laughs> sleep more specifically for your infants and your toddlers. And I know that is a terrifying subject for some people. So we brought in Alyssa to talk about her expertise as a sleep consultant. Yes, a sleep consultant. And not just a sleep consultant, a sleep consultant with a 100% success rate. And she wears many hats. So aside from that, she has a master's in early childhood and childhood development. She's a doula. She's been caring for and raising children ever since she was a child, basically. The way she jokes about it is she's had a baby in her arms since she was a baby. So she's pretty much dedicated her life to this stuff. And I sat down on the phone with her and picked her brain about all of this sleep stuff to help you mamas out there either preparing for birth and wondering what comes after or you're in the early stages of postpartum or maybe not either of those things and are just interested in how you can get your kid to sleep better. And so Alyssa breaks down the three big factors of sleep and we go into that environment, biology, and behavior. So listen up for that. And then also Alyssa is giving our listeners something so awesome. Think of it as a Halloween treat. When you go to her website, which there will be links to on the show page at diahpodcast.com, but her website is Seed and Sew, and that's Seed, S-E-E-D, and Sew, S-E-W, dot org. So when you go to her website and you sign up for her mailing list and you mention that you heard about her from D-I-A-H, from doing it at home, you will get a 15% discount on sleep consultations. That's pretty amazing. And even beyond that, she has a free download on her website about daylight savings time, which is coming up this week, you guys. This weekend, it's coming up. And so Alyssa created this really cool guide on how you can navigate this time frame and actually help get child or baby on track with their sleep schedule. So Matthew and I are definitely going to be using these techniques over these next couple of days to prepare. But if you don't have time to prepare, there's even a contingency plan for afterwards what you can do to help with the sleep schedule. So you do not want to miss this episode. It is just chock full of info for you if you want you and your baby to have peaceful sleep. So thank you so much to Alyssa for hanging out with us and please enjoy this episode. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. 
Introducing a new collection, Hanna Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hanna quality for your most precious gift. Hanna Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Hey, Alyssa, welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. How the heck are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. I am really excited to talk to you because I think you have a ton of... There are so many things that we can talk about. I mean, this could go on for a really long time, um, but there's so many (laughs) things of what you do and who you are that I think are amazing... um, have an amazing synergy with here us here at doing it at home and what we're about. And I just think listeners will really dig on what you have to talk about. Um, so in the spirit of that, can you just share, I wanted you to do this because I knew I would totally mess it up if I was to, in charge of listing all the things that you do. <laughs> you know, we were laughing and joking before we hit record that you wear a lot of hats. So can you just describe some of those for us? <laughs> I sure do. Uh, I, so my master's degree was in, uh, early childhood education, child development. And um, so by day, I guess my 7.30 to 3.30, uh, I'm a teacher at a research child care center, a lab school. Uh, and I teach an infant-toddler classroom right now, although I've taught all different age ranges within early childhood. Uh, I am also a sleep consultant for infant-toddler preschool-age kiddos. Um, work with families to help get good quality sleep. I work with child care centers to help get kiddos sleeping in classrooms. Um, kind of all over the spectrum there. I am also a doula. Um, right now doing mostly postpartum work. Uh, I would say my underlying drive is that I really believe in the village. I think that all too often these days families are raising children in isolation and just so hard. It's so hard to be the person who has to have the answer to every question when you probably don't have a background in child development or you don't have a background in sleep or nutrition or every other thing that comes with parenting. And I think when we can bring the village together and all share resources, uh, it's just a beautiful thing. And so that really drives my my work and my passion. Uh, that's so awesome. Um the village thing too, when you, when you said that, that isolation, I don't know about anyone else listening, but that, that really hit me. And even when you do have a great support system set up, you can feel extremely isolated and alone, whether that is in the, the pregnancy process, the, the birth time, and you know, a little bit before and after that. And then when you're responsible for raising a little human, um, it can just feel incredibly daunting. And, you know, no one person has the answer. You wouldn't expect anyone else to have all of the answers to everything. So then how you yourself as a mom or as a father, you know, the parents, co-parents, you're not going to, you're not going to figure it just because you had the baby doesn't mean, you know, everything like they don't come with instructions. They don't come with a manual. So you're not going to know everything about them. Um, and even, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit in our emails, like even doctors aren't, aren't briefed in all of the yeah. things to know on all aspects and all spectrums of the, of the experience that is birthing children and then raising them. So it's just so key to, to utilize the people around you and to create a space where you can lean on others for support and, and all of that. So for that to be the underlying Absolutely. message of everything that you do, I think is freaking awesome. Thanks. Uh, Yeah, actually, I I think the doctor point is huge that for a lot of families, you know, through pregnancy and birth and uh, postpartum and then beyond, the first person that they think to turn to with questions is a pediatrician Mm -hmm. um, or their OB. And in actuality, their training is, is very specific to the medical world and what we end up seeing, we see it in the birth world um, and midwifery versus OB care and then we end up seeing it with pediatricians as well, that they're not trained in things like sleep and child development and nutrition, but they are a parent's often only resource to turn to. So this mm. would be the only place that a parent knows to go. And so they will answer questions and try and give feedback based on their experience. But 
and it's not their training. Mm-hmm. Um, so I often work with families when I consult and we end up having a different kind of picture from my side of things um, in my trainings than what their pediatrician may have told them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, it's hard. I, I'm hoping to move toward a system where we can kind of bring all those things together and just like we have moved more into uh, more people have access to lactation consulting, right. which wasn't always um, available for everyone. I'm hoping we can really start to see that more and really expand the village and include things like sleep consulting and uh, developmental specialists who can consult on, you know, is this developmentally appropriate? things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know um, there are probably tons of listeners who, when you said the term sleep consultant, were like, um, you had me at sleep consultant. I want to hear everything this woman has to say. <laughs> so we're definitely going to get to that. So anyone listening, we're not going to skip yeah. over that. I promise. Um, but I want to take, I guess, a little step back and just understand a little bit more about what got you into this, this path. And, you know, you're a self, you know, described birth junkie. And <laughs> you know, I love that term. And just, you know, what got you, what got you there and what's part of your own story with that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that I was probably in the majority here where I was petrified of birth. Mm. Um, you know, what we see in media is it's, it's so fear-based and I definitely fell into that group and um, actually sleep consulting kind of came before birth. So I can't separate them really, but I'll go more into sleep consulting in a little bit, but I was consulting in part of my intake form asked uh, for the birth story because I believe that the birth story plays into sleep, not just for the child, but also for the parents um, in terms of how you're approaching sleep. That's yeah. cool. And yeah. And so I started reading like all these birth stories and it just wasn't sitting right. Like something didn't feel right. It was like, this isn't so many women who would ha- were using words like traumatic in their birth stories. And so I just, it just kind of piqued my curiosity and I started reaching out to people and listening to more birth stories. And uh, the more I learned, the more I felt like this isn't what it should be. And I was surrounded by people who were having uh, unwanted C-sections. And I, so I started and I was like, all right, I'm going to learn more about this. I got some books. I started listening to podcasts. And then I ultimately did my doula certification mm. uh, through Dona and was just all in from there. And the more I learned, the <laughs> more I just wanted to both spread this and also connect it to all the other things that I was doing. I, mean, I think they're all very connected. Mm. Uh, and I think, for instance, if a parent has, the opportunity and is given the space to experience birth and the power that can come from that, that that's a beautiful way to enter parenthood versus a parent who has a plan or a goal and it is stifled and they end up with something like an unwanted C-section and what that can do to just enter parenthood that way Mm. um, with that doubt in your body and perhaps your ability to do this. yeah, wow. so I've liked connecting those pieces. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, we talk about this on the show, but just to hear more more evidence to support, wow, so your birth experience can really impact not just your postpartum life, not just you, you know your physical body, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it can impact your baby and, and their, you know, experience in their first couple of years of the world, their development, like, the the ripple effects of birth are so far and wide and great, much more than I think we've been willing in mainstream culture and society and talk of birth that we're we're willing to acknowledge. Absolutely, and uh, I think like the more I learned about it, the less fear I had. Mm. The more I learned different options that were available, and I would have never ever thought of myself as someone who would be down for home birth, Mm -hmm. right? Like in my mind, like you had to make your own soap, you know, you're living and like off the grid, that should be be birth at home, right? (laughs) And that's just so not the reality. And the more I learned about it, the more I was exposed to different options, the more certain I was that um, hopefully if I'm given the opportunity to give birth one day, my husband and I both 
are on the same page that we would absolutely want a home birth. And the scariest thing to me would be to be in a hospital. And for so many people, that's the reverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's oftentimes just a lack of understanding of different options and education out there because there's so much fear-based information. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then what, what was the beginning of your doula work like and, and being able yeah. to be in the space of, of kind of, you know, you, you did some, some research and kind of, um, practical, you know, theory of, of how birth can be, but then being in the experience of seeing, you know, a different face to birth than what we're normally told, you know, what was, what was that like? Yeah, absolutely. So I think like it really solidified for me, uh, just how different experiences can be with different levels of education on options right. uh, and, uh, and, and how that would then transfer into parenthood. So I've, I've really actually enjoyed a lot of the postpartum work now, uh, being able to kind of put these pieces together with new families, um, being able to sit with them and, give them space to express how their birth is now affecting their parenthood and the fears that are coming with that or um, the joy and the empowerment that comes with that and um, then move into expectations with child development and sleep and really bring my other hats into play and bring it kind of full circle. Yeah. So let's, let's go into the other half then. How did, how did sleep consultant come about? Yeah. Uh, well, I was working in, in childcare and teaching and, uh, I, it, there were just so many different patterns for kids, which didn't make sense to me because we, uh, for the most part, kids display specific patterns and we know, uh, kind of what's going on in their brain and why it might be happening. And that was my training, right? Like understand these children's brains. And so for so many kids to have different sleep patterns and to be able to function on different levels of sleep or to see how different sleep patterns really affected their behavior and their ability to learn, really just like uh, my interest was super peaked there. And Mm -hmm. I started to um, kind of learn more about sleep and how it works within the brain, the biology behind it. And as I did that, I just kind of dove in and I um, found a mentor who um, really trained me. She also has a master's in early childhood, and she ended up doing um, like a sleep training. And I, I just had an amazing opportunity to learn from her and then started taking clients slowly. And as it kept going, I have a 100% success rate with all the families that I've worked with. Um, I'm sorry, you said 100? 100? 100. Yeah, it's, it's any any time we've set up the goals, I, it, part of it is setting up realistic goals, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, I might have a family email me and say, my goal is to have my child sleep 12 straight hours overnight and take a three-hour nap in the day. And so we have to adjust those goals. Yeah, we need smart goals in order to achieve <laughs> said goals. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but once we can talk I think there's just a lot of unknown, right? Like you will hear these stories of kids that are sleeping 12 hours at night and that sounds amazing. It's just not the norm. Right. Uh, and so once I can talk through, a lot, honestly, a lot of it is, um, I think there are three big factors that play into child, the children's sleep and it's environment that we're looking for a cool, dark place with some white noise. Um, the second thing I look at is biology. We're looking at what's going on developmentally with this child, uh, how is food playing into this for each kiddo, and the circadian rhythm. So we're looking at something that we call sleep pressure. Um, we want a child who is tired enough without being overtired, kind of this magic window we're looking to create. Uh, and that really has to do with their nap timing, uh, the time of the day and how long it is. And then where uh, bedtime falls in terms of in relation to that nap timing. Um, we're looking for that perfect window of the right amount of tired. Because an overtired child, I'm sure you've experienced, uh, <laughs> is waking up all the time. Uh, or you're going to get to like a five o'clock wake up in the morning, things like that. Uh, and a child who's not tired enough 
who've had a nap late in the day, it's the same thing. You, you might see them fight bedtime a little bit, but then you're going to see them maybe take like a half an hour nap and be like, okay, I'm ready again. Um, and, and you see those wake-ups in, in the beginning of the night. So we play a lot with the biology and kind of really look at what's going on and the timing of things. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I ever look at is behavior. So most of the time, we don't have to get to behavior. Most sleep um, problems can be solved with either the environment and biology, from my experience. Every once in a while, you have a kiddo who has learned it's a learned habit, right, that they know, okay, if I wake up and I cry at this time, I'm going to get snuggled and go back down, okay. uh, even though all the other things are in play. Uh, they have good nap times, all that jazz. Uh, we can still see some behavioral stuff. One thing I would like to say is that I I don't practice cry it out. Uh, not something I subscribe to. Uh, from I I come from a place of child development where I don't believe in putting a kid in the room and saying, "We'll see you in the morning. You're yeah. on your own." Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's no crying involved mm-hmm. in right. helping kids develop new routines. Uh, this is an important distinction. I mean, it, it, we talk a lot in my complications about learning the different cries from your child and right. kind of really put words to those cries. If this child was a teenager and they were in their room, what would they be saying to you? Would they yeah. be saying, I'm scared? Or would they be saying, I don't want to go to bed? <laughs> right. I love that you say that. And, and I love that you mentioned, like you, you threw that in there, like, by the way, you know, I, I don't really practice this because that was, you must be like reading my mind or other listeners as they're listening to this. I was like, oh, I wonder if I should talk about cry it out. Like, I don't really know enough about it, but can I, like, should I ask her that? I'm really glad you, you said that and the just kind of learning what you said almost the language of it like a huge lesson for me and in my personal experience of raising Maya has been letting go to my emotional attachment to her crying automatically means something bad or that I'm not doing something like the cry is not necessarily an indicator of a, of a lack of what I'm doing it's, it's the communication right that's all that's the only way she can communicate until you know more recently she's you know making a little bit more associations but especially in the beginning like it's a good thing that she's crying you know to look at it now like she's Absolutely. she's expressing and um yeah, I love that you said like that doesn't mean no crying at all. You know, I can hear her sometimes whining in her room and I know it's that like, uh, I don't want to, but I right. am going to. And then she's out, you know, it's that versus like there's yeah. something wrong. You know, you can you can kind of tell yeah. after a while. Um, but I, I, I love yeah, that you mentioned that. that. Note, yeah, absolutely. And on that note, I actually right now um, a colleague and I, created a method called the collaborative emotion processing method. Um, we are currently writing a book on it and we actually just got approved for some research and we'll be presenting our research at a national childcare conference uh, in the spring, but we will be researching this method in our classroom and it, it's so applicable for parenting as well. And as things, as, as we develop it more and, and the book is out, I'll definitely share those resources with you, but The the goal here is to help parents and educators and caregivers uh, learn how to calm our bodies and how to experience children expressing emotion Mm. in a calm manner. How do we stay calm and know that we've done everything we can do to support their emotion and that sometimes they just need to express and that's okay and we can still be supportive to their expression. Yeah. That's, that's wow. Like that hit me on, on so many levels as you just described that word for word. And so that I'm getting it accurately, you said it's a collaborative emotion processing method is what you said it is that you're working yes, on? Yes, exactly. Wow, cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we just, uh, just, just, we just to, developed it. It's like a step-by-step. Uh-huh. I, th- I think uh, that's like guidelines. so cool. It'll take you through, for instance, your child's expressing an emotion and it'll say, okay, like, did you, did you see what happened? Do you know mm-hmm. why they're crying? And if you answer yes to that, here are the next steps you can follow. If you answer no to that, here are some steps you can follow mm-hmm. um, so that we can support them without inferring and still really give them that space to express and, and feel validated. Right. Because how can they, to an extent, when you are, I mean, for lack of a, saying it more eloquently or, or in a pretty way, you're kind of a hot mess. 
You know, and I've experienced that at times when I want Maya so desperately to be calm or stop crying or whatever, but I am just like hanging on by a thread and it's so apparent she's, she's not coming down. Cause she can tell I'm not that like, right. hey, mom, you're not holding the space for me to be calm. You're not even calm. Like get your stuff together, mom. And then I'll meet you there is kind of what, if she could right. talk, I would imagine her yeah. to say, um, <laughs> and you know, that's, that's not so easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. But if there were techniques right. and methods and support and a village to give mothers, parents, caregivers, the tools for themselves, then you're going to model that. And I believe they're, they're very aware. I believe they're very porous, you know, little creatures and, and they're going to kind of follow your lead. So to, to set the stage for how you're going to handle that, then, you know, can I, oh, I can't even like speak anymore. Cause I just think yeah. that's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. It's, it's, it, I think it makes so much sense. And there's all this research that tells us how, uh, capable children are of developing emotional intelligence mm-hmm. from such a young age, but there aren't a lot of resources to right. support parents and caregivers on what that means and how to put that into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our goal through this book is to really give parents more resources to, re- to take you through, uh, and caregivers and educators, to take you through the steps of what to follow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even as an adult, there are times where I just want to express and be validated. And mm-hmm. I don't want somebody to fix my problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like a husband. And I would because... start conversation. Exactly. I <laughs> Husbands want to solve problems. I like, don't fix this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to vent. <laughs> yep. Uh, and it's, it's the same with kids. If we're always trying to fix it, sometimes they just need to express yeah. it. Sometimes that's a cry if they don't have the words to go with it. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and I, to bring that back to sleep. I mean, that's, it's a part of it, right? And it's, it's a part of being always, whether yeah. it's for sleep or during the day and tantrum, whatever. Yeah. Uh, crying is not a bad thing. And it's our goal is to help, help families and caregivers and teachers feel that the calm in the storm. Yeah. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So, so I would like to give, if we can, you know, some specific examples or tips within these three factors, you know, so I heard environment, um, biology, and if it comes to that point behavior. So what are some things, you know, for moms listening, you know, either with their current babes or, you know, ones in their bellies, what are, you know, some typical tried and true things to implement or set up in each of those factors to, to, you know, set yourself up for success essentially. Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at environments, we want an uh, environment that's between 65 and 72 degrees. Hmm. Uh, we don't want an environment that's too warm. Okay. You'd rather be on the colder end than on the warmer end. Oh, uh, okay. And oftentimes our kids are like overdressed. Yeah. They're in a warm room and we're so worried about them being cold. Yeah. We're used to being under a comforter <laughs> that we put like these sleeve sleep sacks on them and, yeah. and they're so warm. So that's our first step. The second step is for it to be dark. I love, love, love blackout shades. Mm-hmm. I would like to put them in every bedroom, in every child care center. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, the, drowning out that light is huge because light goes into your pituitary gland and then you're sending a signal to your brain because they don't produce melatonin. Mm. Um, not our goal. Uh, and largely what we see is in the morning when that light starts to come in, when the sun rises, 
it is a recipe for disaster for you. So we're looking mm. for blackout shades and then white noise. So a sound machine. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Conair makes a sound machine that is my favorite. It's like, I don't remember the name of it. It's like gray and has a dial. I can send you the link to it if you want to put it in show notes. Cool. That my would be great. One. That would be great. Yeah. We have, we yeah. have one. We've had one with Maya since, since day one. Um, we've had, you know, a noise machine, a white noise on blast. And, um, you know, I remember, um, learning about their, their auditory sensation, you know, when, when they're especially really fresh, like it's really loud in the womb. Like that's something I didn't know until I was pregnant and then was preparing for birth. Like they're used to it. It's actually when it's silent and then they hear something like a crack or whatever, that it kind of freaks them out because that's not what they're used to. Um, so especially for that, like fourth trimester stage, it's, it's really just about like, let's, let's like carefully and lovingly integrate you into the world, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right that it's, it's not the silence that we're looking for, for their sleep. And it's not what they want because mm. there's never true silence. Right. If you were going to have true silence, that would maybe be different, but that's never the case. Mm-hmm. A door is going to open, a voice is going to be heard, mm-hmm. a toilet's going to flush. There's going to be other sound. And the point of the white noise is not to induce sleep, it's to protect it. So that mm. once you're asleep, you can remain asleep and not be disturbed by the other noises. To be honest, I use one with my snoring husband <laughs> um, and it helps our marriage last. Uh, <laughs> it's recommended for all. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so those are cool. the three big environment pieces that mm-hmm. we look at. Um, and the next thing I look at is biology. So we're looking at child development. We're looking at how old they are, which plays a huge role. Um, you often hear of sleep progression at four months, at nine months, at yeah. 12 to 15 months, at 18 months. And I don't like to think of them as regressions. I actually, <laughs> I often like congratulate parents I'm like yay that means something big is happening mm, yeah uh, things are supposed to change months, right start, exactly yeah. at four months they're going to start producing melatonin mm. which is really hard for about a week and then it's amazing mm. <laughs> <laughs> at nine months they might be getting ready to crawl around mm. 12 to 15 months they're going to be getting ready to walk they might have a huge burst of language mm-hmm. uh, so there are there are reasons that we are seeing these sleep regression. So first I look at, you know, where are they developmentally? What's going on for them? And that's a part of my like intake form with them. Is there anything new you've been noticing, a new skill they're working on or uh, anything along those lines? Because we always see a disruption in sleep. And it's usually only about a week of a disruption and then it'll go back to normal. And in that week, my message is just survive, right? Like, yeah, do what you got to do. There are no rules. If you need, exactly. Yeah. Like, if you need to feed your baby back down, and that's not what you've been doing in the past, but it's working for this week, we can always undo that. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to become a habit that they're going to always need that from here on out. Just survive this new amazing thing they're going through. I mean, in the first three years of a child's life, we develop 80% of the brain. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, sleep is going to be disrupted. I mean, even nights that I have a lot going on at work and I'm so busy, like those are my worst nights of sleep because I have so much happening in my brain and it does not even pale in comparison to what their little brains do. Gosh. Um, (laughs) It makes me kind of want to like give Maya a break, you know, when she's acting up like, well, (laughs) (laughs) you're making 80% of your brain. Uh, You know, I didn't do that much today compared to that. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Uh, so yeah, we look at that. We look at the circadian rhythm with biology. I'm looking at like their nap times, what the sleep timing is. Okay. Um, most kids overnight, uh, once they are sleeping like a full overnight, a true overnight sleep, it's usually like 10 and a half to 12 hours. Mm-hmm. The range. Most people falling around 11 hours. Um, and what we're really looking at is that first six hours after they're once they're four months old and beyond. Uh, and melatonin is, is being produced, We it's really important that we see those first six hours consolidated. If they're waking up in those first six hours, it usually means that their nap needs to be played with. Mm. Whether it's the timing of their nap, sometimes they're napping too long, sometimes they're napping too late in the day, they need to pull it earlier, sometimes their nap isn't long enough, and that's another thing we have a different approach to. Mm-hmm. So when, when we're seeing that sleep, 
kind of disrupted in the first six hours, we, we usually pull it back to nap. Hmm. Uh, or maybe bedtime. Maybe nap is at a great time. If bedtime needs to be pushed a half an hour, come back a half an hour, things like that. Hmm. Uh, and then we look at food. Uh, are they getting enough food? Are they having a huge dinner and then they're over full and you're seeing them like wake up and have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night or mm. they're uncomfortable, things like that. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then lastly, behavior. And behavior for the most part, like I said, it's not something we usually have to get to, but if it is, uh, I have, and there are a number of different approaches that are out there that I kind of talk through different ones with families. Part of my intake form, one of my questions is how you feel when your child cries mm. and, and how you manage into like some specific uh, approaches for the behavior that might be helpful. Mm-hmm. I will say one of my favorites is intervals. So, you know, putting your child in bed is a behavior. Sure, we've troubleshot everything else. Putting your child in bed and saying goodnight and you love them and leaving and going to cry and then having going back in intervals. You might start with just one minute at first and then you'll wait three minutes and then you would wait five minutes for like the interval time gets greater and greater so that you're continuing to go back in and support them and they know that they're not alone, but they also are hearing the same consistent message from you that it's bedtime. Yeah. And I know that you want me to rock you to sleep, but it's bedtime and you're going to go to sleep in your crib or whatever it is. Um, Yeah. We, um, Matthew and yeah. I did that so, actually. There was a period of time where, where Maya was waking up way too soon, you know, you know, probably within the first uh-huh. two or three hours of putting her down to sleep. And so I remember we, you know, both made the choice and he was on board too, which was great. You know, it wasn't just going to be me doing it. And, you know, we just kind of right. hunkered down. We're like, all right, let's, let's make this a week. Let's, let's see what this offers us. And we would go to the other side of the house too when she was crying and like occupy ourselves. Like we'd watch a movie or we'd like play a game or something and, you know, keep putting on the timer and checking, um, and went in for, for a few days, but it, it was successful. Awesome. Yeah, so that, <laughs> that one's my favorite because it gives a little bit of, you can still check in with the kiddo. They right. know you're there, uh, but it gives them the space to express right. um, while also then getting that support. So mm-hmm. I thought that worked. Um, yeah, and I would also like to put a little plug in that you don't, this probably doesn't mean that a child has to be sleeping in their own room, in their own crib. Mm, um, right. Co-sleeping you can still have children that sleep beautifully. Yeah. You can still have people that if that's what you want and that's what works for your family, I'll work with you. Mm -hmm. Like I don't care where, what your setup is going to be. And in all of those setups, we can get a child who's going to be sleeping with you in meeting your goals and Mm -hmm. sleeping through the night. Uh, There are a number of sleep consultants that, recommend a child in their own room in their own crib and I would find another sleep control mm-hmm. Hmm. so that option just like with birth yeah <laughs> there isn't one right way yeah yeah so I mean, you're up to a lot here you know creating a method <laughs> and helping helping mothers really uh, there can't be a greater thing I feel like that you could help a mother with postpartum than sleep. <laughs> I mean, yeah. aside from maybe like cook for her and do her laundry too, if you were to add that to your services, you're pretty much giving the gift of life to someone who has given life. Um, what what else do you do you see for yourself or are you working on or do you want to do with with what you've created and, and all of these amazing avenues and, and resources that you've accumulated? Like what else do you want to do? Totally. That's a great question. So I actually, I've been doing sleep consulting on the side while teaching. Okay. Um, and I really see myself in the next couple of years moving full swing into consulting and being able to provide like, courses for parents that can set you up with the expectation mm. or uh, really more just like resources for families to have at their fingertips other than just consultation, mm. which we can always do as well. But some families, they don't have a specific issue right now. And if they have some tools 
you know, in their box to pull from down the road, that would be everything that they need and they wouldn't necessarily need a full consultation. So I'm really looking to expand um, what we offer and I will also reach out to you soon. We'll have a new website coming soon. So hopefully more of that information. I love that. be accessible for a family. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'd like to touch on, on one more thing, but you know, before we kind of come to a close here, you, you mentioned expectations. What are some healthy, you know, I'll use that word healthy expectations that, you know, pregnant moms and families preparing to have a baby can have going into, let's say, you know, like the looking into the first year, you know, what, what are some of those? Like, do you have examples for sure. Um, so, and, and that's something that I would love to have as just like a freebie on the website yeah. that you can look at and say like, okay, this is what, you know, we can expect from these kids. So hopefully that information will all be like in digital form for you soon. Great. But I would say when we're looking at that first four months, melatonin hasn't fit in yet. So kiddos are sleeping based on attachment and food and environment and that's a lot of itch. I mean, some kids, you might see some uh, development that's like rolling over happening for some kids so that early. But for the most part, uh, and there's also a huge uh, fear-based, it, there's a lot of fear-based information out there about SIDS. Yeah. And so I think families are so, it's so nerve-wracking. Yeah, it's tense. Yeah. But exactly. And so I there will be more resources for families on the website as well about this, but being able to breathe and just respond to your, to your kiddo. Actually, Matthew recently in one of the podcast episodes was talking about how he loves to just like watch Maya and, and like watch her problem solve something oh, and how like she yeah. might be able to take something to another level that he wouldn't even thought of. Mm-hmm. And that applies in sleep as well. Like being able to really look at our kid and say, oh, wow, they were sleeping great, and now this last two nights, like, the, everything's off. And just being able to take a deep breath and pause and know, okay, like, what, is there anything that was different? Did, it, has my milk really come in? It, it, has my supply built up? And they're getting a lot more now. Uh, has, I've gone back to work. How has that affected sleep? Uh, and what are some things you can do to kind of troubleshoot that? Uh, so it just pay, like responding. I think that's a lot of parenting in general. Anyways, it's observing our child and being able to see what is happening in the moment and being able to respond to that. Uh, and it really requires a place of calm. I recommend meditation to every human in the world, but especially <laughs> to postpartum moms. Um, it can be a beautiful tool to be able to tap into your breath and find that calm and then be able to really see what's in front of us. Mm. Uh, it's hard when there's a crying baby and you're exhausted yeah. and you just want to fix it. But if we can tap into the calm first, we can usually see a clearer picture. Yes, I love uh, that. But for the most part, in those first four months, we're really looking at sleep based around food. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, you are going to have to get up and feed usually every few hours. Yeah. Uh, if not more. Uh, and they aren't open. Oh, they don't care that it's nighttime. Right. <laughs> You'll, you know, we'll hear the child that wants to rage at 2 a.m. Um, but at 2 p.m., they're down to snooze. And, and it's not that they're reversing their night and day. It's that they don't have that circadian rhythm yet. Hmm. Um, and, and that we need to find a place where we can be okay with that. Where uh, that is our expectation is that they might be up for an hour. So if they're going to be up for an hour in the middle of the night, what's our plan? Right. Because you don't want to have to make that plan at 2 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> with your partner. Yeah. Um, no one wants to be talking to each other at 2 a.m. So <laughs> what is our plan going into the night? <laughs> uh, I think those are huge. That's a lot of like a lot of families that I meet with prenatally and then I'm doing postpartum work with down the road. We talk about that those plans and those expectations before these babies come. So yeah. how long are we home on leave? And who works better at the beginning of the night versus the end of the night? Who's better at napping during the day? And putting together a plan that so that we can get as much sleep as possible. Mm, I, um, I work hand-in-hand with lactation consultants a lot mm. to make sure that 
if mom is sleeping and dad's up getting a bottle, how is that going to affect milk supply and making sure that all those goals can be, can be met across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's the first four months. After mm-hmm. four months of melatonin session, things can typically fall into more of a pattern. You'll start to see, hopefully, that the first six hours of sleep starts to consolidate. We're getting at least a six-hour stretch. Um, so it'll probably be up on and off feeding the rest of the night, but hopefully you're getting that first chunk. And uh, most kiddos at four months are doing three to four naps. Uh, nap time, well, naps are like a REM cycle for naps of 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. what we sometimes see is a kiddo naps 30 minutes, they're up for a little bit, they nap 30 minutes, they're up for a little bit, they nap 30 minutes. And this cycle, we hope subsides after that four month uh, period ends. And we start to see nap lengthen to maybe an hour and a half for at least one nap a day. Uh, so we start to pay attention to stuff like that a little more after melatonin sets in. Around between like six and eight months, uh, kiddos will be on two naps. Some kids still need that third nap at the end of the day, a little cat nap to get them to bedtime. One thing we're paying attention to when kids move to two naps is that we want to have the awake time get longer throughout the day. So for instance, the morning after they wake up before their first bedtime is the shortest awake time, mm-hmm. maybe about two hours. Yeah, that's what I noticed. And then they take a nap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the second awake time is a little bit longer, somewhere between two and three hours. And then they take a nap. And then their last awake time is the longest, somewhere between three and four hours. And for every kid, that like magic time is going to be a little different. It might be a little, maybe a half an hour difference from their friend or whatever, but finding what works for them is our goal. And then bedtime. Uh, And that's where we're looking at sleep pressure, that like magic window of when they go to bed for the right amount of tires. Um, And then one thing that I often see is that people drop down to one nap too early. We see this a lot in childcare. Uh, And, Really, I want to see kids go. Most kids can't go down to one nap without it disrupting their overnight sleep until between 12 and 15 months. Um, some kids will need two naps up until 18 months, although usually between 12 and 15 months, they drop down to one nap. Mm. Uh, and that one nap should be at least an hour and a half, and most kids will do about two, two and a half hours um, if we have everything else set up in an ideal situation. Yeah. <laughs> ideal situation. I love that. Right. Wow. Doesn't that sound glorious? <laughs> yeah, really, really does. I mean, I, I will say overall, um, we have been extremely blessed with the sleeping situation and it's, it's gone pretty similarly to how you describe. So I'm sure there's moms listening like, Ugh, shut up, Sarah. But, um, it, it's, it's gone pretty well. And there, there were, it probably wasn't all that long, you know, in my mind, it seems like it was forever, but it was probably a couple week period where she was just doing way more wake ups than necessary. Yeah. And there were definitely a few weeks where I was just half a human being because, you know, I, I I've nursed the whole time, Absolutely. you know, I'm still nursing. And so, um, one of my mom friends and I joke that it's like raisin, you feel like a raisin the next morning. Cause you've just been like sucked dry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, there, that was, that was rough, but you know, we're, she's a year now and she's, she does the one nap. And so it's anywhere between awesome. an hour and a half ish. And, and she is sleeping through the whole night. She goes down around six thirty seven PM and is up just after 7 AM. That's beautiful. It is pretty beautiful. <laughs> oh man, you're going to have a lot of listeners saying what, <laughs> Stop it, Sarah. It's it was the birth. That's all that it was. That's that's what I'll go with. <laughs> it was that beautiful home. Yes, that's why. Uh, <laughs> um, I have a huge feeling though with this episode, we're gonna get a ton of follow up questions for you or things that I did not ask yeah. about in detail because either I didn't experience whatever it was or I'm not thinking about it. Um, so if you are open, we might have to have like an Ask Alyssa portion of the website or something. <laughs> where, yeah, um, for sure. I answer all. The sleep questions, all the developmental stuff that you know, I just 
there's, there's so much like there, we, we probably just scratched the surface of what I'm sure has been years of your life and your work and all that you're doing and all that you're passionate about. Um, so if you are cool with that, you know, I'll put it out there to listeners. If you are listening to this and you're like, why didn't Sarah ask this question? Or I want to know about this. Is my baby normal? (laughs) What's my ideal situation? What are my expectations? Um, you know, reach out to us and I, you know, we'll put you in touch with Alyssa to, to answer your questions. Um, Absolutely. And I'll cool. keep you posted, you know, when the time comes, the website is fully up and running, that there are freebies and things, information for parents to have access to, that'll hopefully alleviate a lot of those questions. Great. I mean, I'm also happy to answer, but uh, yeah, it'd be nice for, I think, families to have more information at their fingertips. Absolutely. Um, uh, Alyssa, this has been so amazing. You know, we've said this, we could, we could go on forever, but in the interest of, of time and everyone's time, um, you know, we'll wrap it up here, but it's, it's just been so great. I'm very grateful to you. And, you know, like I said, I I see many more conversations across all sorts of topics. And then maybe at some point you sharing your own birth story with us, that would be amazing. Yeah. (laughs) When you're ready though, in your own time. Thanks. <laughs> oh, uh, please, I work in early childhood. We get that question all the time. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you again. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thanks for this amazing resource for, for families all over to have mm. knowledge of different options and that they get to have some control over their faith. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.